This is the Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. The Political Insider is your inside source on politics from the White House to the State House and all points in between. If it's in the headlines, the Political Insider will have the story. Let's get started. Here's Bill Ballinger. Welcome, weekend political warriors. Uh, There are several things we can talk about today that I think are interesting. Uh, First of all, the Republicans are going to have what they call their 33rd biennial Mackinac Island Leadership Conference. Now, this is always held in the odd year um, since 2019, um, always in the fall, always in the Grand Hotel, at least that's where it's centered, on Mackinac Island. And the question is, is this really the 33rd? Um, If they've had it every two years dating back, that would mean it should have started in 1955 when Dwight D. Eisenhower was president. Well, supposedly the first one was held in 1957 when Lawrence B. Lindemer was chairman of the Michigan Republican Party. And by the way, he is still alive. Larry Lindemer, at the age of 98, living in a retirement home in Chelsea, Michigan, outside of Ann Arbor. And I asked him a couple of years ago when I talked to him, I said, uh, what do you remember about the start of the Mackinac Island Leadership Conference for the Republicans? And he said, well, I was chairman of the party in 1957. We'd just gone through an election in 1956 when Dwight D. Eisenhower was elected uh, for a second time in a landslide over Adlai Stevenson. And yet here in Michigan, um, the Republicans were basically wiped out. Um, G. Men and Soapy Williams was the Democratic governor. Uh, the two U.S. senators at that point had uh, been taken over by the Democratic Party. Uh, all the statewide elected officials were Democrats, Attorney General, Secretary of State, Lieutenant Governor, which was independently elected at that time. And there were a bunch of other offices on the ballot, like uh, Auditor General and uh, Superintendent of Public Instruction and State Highway Commissioner under the old Constitution. They were all elected statewide. And in 1956, the Democrats swept the board. They won everything, even though their candidate, the Democrats, for president, Adlai Stevenson, was getting shellacked at the top of the ticket by Dwight D. Eisenhower. So Republicans are trying to figure out how do we combat this? How do we come back? Can we ever get back into control of state government again? So according to Larry Lindemer, they decided to have this kind of powwow up on Mackinac Island in the fall of 1957. And every two years since, um, at exactly the same time of year, it's usually like the third to fourth week in September uh, in the Grand Hotel. That's where it's centered, but they have activities all over the island and other hotels and restaurants and bars. Uh, They have held this conclave and they've brought in a bunch of visiting firemen from national politics. Uh, They've had uh, never a sitting president except Gerald Ford, uh, but they've had ex-presidents and they've had future presidents. And uh, this year, for the first time, they're going to have a sitting vice president. Mike Pence is coming to Mackinac Island, and I'll tell you a little bit more about that in a minute. Um, 
but in any event, the question is, uh, when was this conference really first started? Was it in 1957, as Larry Lindemer says, or I just read this week in the Detroit Free Press an article by Paul Egan in which he claims it started in 1953. Well, if it started in 1953 and it's held every two years, this would really be, by my count, the 34th. But if it was started in 57, this would be the 32nd, not the 33rd, which is what they're billing it. So this is a mystery. And uh, I've been on the case here for a couple of years, and I thought I had the definitive answer. I thought it was 1957, but I got some doubts at this point. I'm going to have to back and uh, revisit this case. Anyway, who are the other visitors on Mackinac Island this year of prominence? Sarah Huckabee Sanders, the uh, communications director, spokesperson for President Donald Trump, whom we've seen for more than two years. She just recently retired from that position. She's going to be there. Uh, So is Kevin McCarthy. He is a congressman from California who is the minority leader in the U.S. House of Representatives, uh, of which, as I think everybody knows, Nancy Pelosi is the speaker as the Democrat because the Democrats took over the majority uh, in November of last year. Now, Betsy DeVos is going to be there and speak. Uh, She's secretary of education in the Trump cabinet. But that's not exactly a new phenomenon for Republicans on Mackinac Island. Betsy DeVos has always come to Mackinac Island. I've seen her up there countless times uh, in her other capacities because she's been a state Republican chairperson. She's been a national committee woman. Uh, She's been a district Republican chairman. She's been a county Republican chairman. She's done it all. Uh, But she's back in a new capacity and she'll have a lot of remarks to make which I'm sure will be provocative, uh, not necessarily for those assembled listening to her, but certainly uh, uh, to the Democrats who will be reading, listening, and hearing uh, about what Betsy DeVos says because they are not fans of Betsy DeVos. Now, what else might be going on up at Mackinac Island this year? Well, there's speculation about uh, who's going to run for the Republican nomination in the 10th Congressional District, which is the thumb in northern Macomb County, where the incumbent Paul Mitchell shocked the world a couple of months ago by saying he was going to hang it up after two terms in Washington. Uh, He just didn't like it down there. It was dysfunctional. It was ugly. Uh, Nobody focused on policy. Uh, And uh, he was uh, sick of it. And uh, he was getting out. So that created a vacuum because this is basically a Republican seat. Uh, The Democrats uh, probably couldn't win this in their wildest dreams, but you never know in politics these days. But the the problem for the Republicans is there's no clear uh, consensus front runner for the nomination. There's nobody uh, of any real prominence uh, who has announced he is going to run. Uh, A lot of attention is focused on Peter Lucido, who is a state senator who lives in the heart of the district. But he's making noises like, uh, you know, I'm not sure I want to do this. And when you stop and think about it, um, whoever is elected to this seat, regardless of party, regardless of who it is, can only serve beginning in 2021 for one two-year term before the district is bound to be changed by reapportionment, by redistricting, by a new 
independent commission that was established by the voters of Michigan in the November general election last year by public statewide vote. And nobody knows what that commission is going to produce. And if you're running and giving up a state Senate seat like Peter Lucido would be doing uh, to take a flyer at Congress and you can't be sure you're even going to have the district you were elected to in 2020 any time after that, in 2022 or 24, 26, what kind of a district is it going to be? Is it going to be yoked in with some other uh, district uh, with another member of Congress, maybe a Democrat? Who knows? Um, there's also speculation about the third congressional district where Justin Amash, who's been on Mackinac Island before. In fact, I sat at a table with him a couple of years ago and his family. But he's now left the Republican Party, as I think everybody knows. And he says, I'm going to run again as an independent. We'll see whether he follows through with that. But if he does, what does that do uh, to the race to succeed him in the 3rd Congressional District, which is West Michigan? This is Kent County, Ottawa County. Uh, It's a uh, heavily Republican area. It's actually not Ottawa County, but it's Kent County. And... um, It's got uh, Battle Creek in it. It's a Republican district, not quite as heavily Republican as the 10th. Um, And a number of Republicans have announced. So there's a lot going on. Mike Bishop, the defeated former congressman, will be there. Uh, Will Fred Upton run the 6th Congressional District for a record, uh, I think it's 18th term, 16th term. He is the eighth most senior member of Congress. We will be back uh, with a guest or two. We'll take it from there. This is MTN, and you're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. Here's Bill. We have returned with a guest who knows a lot about what's going on in the Capitol with the fiscal year 2020 budget negotiations between the legislature and Governor Gretchen Whitmer. Our guest is Representative Jason Shepard from the 56th House District. Uh, I believe you're the majority whip. Is that correct, Representative Shepard? That is correct. And I also serve on both policy and appropriations in the House, which uh, makes it Doubly interesting. I would say so. Um, Jason Shepard is a Republican from Lambertville down in Monroe County. Uh, Your district representative includes exactly what? It's all within Monroe County? It is. It's uh, probably, I'd say, around 80% of the county. It's the southern and western uh, townships and villages and a couple of cities within Monroe County. Right. And you're in your third term. Is that correct? I am in my third term. You're, you're, yeah, that's correct. Yeah, these days you're a grizzled veteran there. I mean, compared to all <laughs> these young whippersnappers that have just come in, right? It is weird saying that, actually. <laughs> <laughs> you start feeling like a senior in high school. Like, oh, wow, that, that happened quickly. <laughs> I know. Well, okay, let's, let's talk a little bit about the budget. I mean, as I understand, you guys in the House and for that matter, the Senate as well, are either poised to pass or you have passed a K-12 school aid budget, which uh, I think is going to be a record like 
uh, $15.23 billion. You uh, in position to spend $5.386 billion on roads, which would be a record. Um, what's going on with all that and, and the other budget bills and your process moving forward? So yesterday, uh, before we adjourned, both the House and the Senate actually passed the K-12 budget. And um, what's interesting about that is in the House, it passed with 91 votes. So you're talking a major bipartisan bill. Um, And it does have record school funding. Uh, It includes a very high per-pupil allowance. And what's important about that is the number of Democrats that came on board with our budget. And that was because, quite frankly, we've pivoted to a position in the House where if the executive office is not going to come to the table to discuss the budget, then it's incumbent upon us to talk to the other side of the aisle and get a budget passed with bipartisan support. And that's what we did. And we proved yesterday um, to do that. As a matter of fact, one of the processes that was used was to go back to conference committee. Typically, once a budget passes a conference committee, that's it. It's an up or down vote. Whatever's in it's in it. There's no amendments to the floor or anything like that. So for us to pass the K-12 budget first out of conference committee a week ago, then go back to it yesterday to make changes after negotiations with the other side of the aisle, uh, that was something that we we chose to do because we want to make sure that what we're passing and ultimately going to present to the governor is a budget that has both party support. So in going forward, obviously they had more conference committees yesterday. The road, the the transportation budget itself by no means is a comprehensive roads plan. What this is is getting a transportation budget done. And and a, a few weeks ago when the governor made the decision to separate out a roads plan from the budget, we went to work. And one of the pitfalls we ran into with the administration was our budget was going to include $500 million in spending for roads, more, $500 million more in spending. And she did not want us to pass a budget that had any spending extra for roads that were one time. And a lot of us kind of shuddered at that because, quite honestly, every year you have your transportation budget and you always have one-time spending dollars. It's, it's not unusual that our budgets have that, whether it's through a supplemental or through the actual budget itself, you get one-time spending dollars. We had these one-time spending dollars that we could use for this, and she did not want to uh, allow us to do that. So what we went ahead and did is pass a transportation budget out of conference committee that not only has spending dollars, but if you recall over the summer there was a lot of um, – press uh, regarding the governor visiting these failing and crumbling bridges throughout the state, if you recall that. Right. So what we did is we created a line item for each of those bridges that includes funding to fix those individual bridges out of this one-time spending. So she would have to veto uh, the line items uh, (laughs) to uh, get rid of this one-time spending that she doesn't want, even though she heard the complaints of everybody in the areas where these four bridges are located, that they need this money badly to get these bridges fixed, right? Correct. So that is in our budget. And we'll be taking up, uh, 
sorry about that. We'll be taking up the rest of the uh, rest of the budget uh, coming up on Tuesday uh, to the full floor. So everything came out of conference committee uh, for the remaining budgets that are out there. So several of the budgets passed out unanimously. So really, you're you're kind of paring it down to what budgets are going to be the contentious budgets. You know, are you and transportation? We know will be that um, as one of them. Um, there might be a few more scattered in there that we'll have some uh, back and forth with the administration on. Uh, but K-12 and transportation and probably higher education, those seem like the three that keep, you know, circling back and forth with some issues with the administration at this point. So, But for us, I feel like we put together a very comprehensive plan uh, and when what to do. And there's a lot of... Uh, similarities in a weird way when it came to uh, our no-fault insurance um, bills earlier in the year, you know, where lines were drawn in the sand, but our caucus and really most legislators have the same feeling of we got to do what's right for the citizens of Michigan. And obviously fixing no-fault was a major issue for the citizens. Getting a budget done is a major issue for the citizens. And we also know that we're going to have to do a roads plan at some point, which we also feel is an issue for the citizens. Yeah, you know, uh, I've got to say it's remarkable the cohesiveness and the unity that the Republican caucuses in both the House and Senate have had this year. You really hung together and I think pushed your own agenda to an extent I haven't seen literally in half a century, uh, vis-a-vis the chief executive, the governor. And for that matter, as you pointed out, the Democrats, even though they're in the minority in the House in particular, uh, see the wisdom of trying to, you know, work cooperatively to get the best deal they can for, in this case, special education. That was where they really made an agreement with you, even though that wasn't what the governor wanted. Right. And it's interesting that you bring it all up in that in that nice, you know, packaging, because Again, we're all there to do what's right for the state of Michigan. And if you notice, the things that we are working on in the Republican caucus, we're not trying to push major, extreme, you know, hyper-partisan issues all the time. What we're working on are very fundamental necessities that the state of Michigan and the citizens are requiring. Right. Listen, and that's why we're seeing that. I wish we could go on longer. You've done a great job of summing things up and where things stand right now. We'll see what happens going forward. But I want to thank Representative Jason Shepard of the 56th House District, Monroe County, for being our guest. Thank you, Representative Shepard. Thank you so much. And get a hold of me anytime you want. We'll do that. Back in a minute. You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. We are back, and we've got another guest who knows a lot about how to fix the damn roads. Um, And he is Representative Gary Eisen. He's a freshman Republican from St. Clair Township, I believe, 81st House District. Representative Eisen, welcome to The Political Insider. Hi, hi. How you doing? <laughs> I'm doing great. So your district includes what? A lot of St. Clair County? Yes, I have most of St. Clair County. I share it with uh, Representative Hamburger uh, and Representative Fernandez. So I, got I got a, I got a good team around me. So, um, 
Exactly. What committees are you on in the House? Okay, right now I'm Vice Chair of Transportation. I'm on Agriculture, DNR, and Local Government. And uh, I find those all very interesting, and, I'm, and, I'm, uh, and I can actually contribute because I, I got a background in a little bit of all of that stuff. So. But transportation is, um, is the big issue with funding. And uh, like I said, I sat for five months with doing two committees a day. Uh, listening to all the, the problems and everything of financing. And we come to the same conclusion, most of us, is that it's more of a um, time and labor problem over a funding problem. We only have a six- to eight-month window that we can work on roads in Michigan. We're only mandated that we can work on 12% at any given time. And the problem is we have a workforce that can only work on about 4% of the roads at any given time. So in reality... No matter how much money you put in there, you're not going to get really any more work done than you would the previous years. I believe in 18, it was about 4.3 billion put towards roads. Uh, but, you know, with the PA 51, only like 2.2 billion actually went to roads, and everybody was busy. So uh, we, the only ones that aren't complaining are the road building contractors because they got all the work they can handle, and it's better to have more work than workers, than more workers than work. So what we're finding is uh, when we get these testimonies that we can't find people who can back trucks up. We can't find bulldozer drivers. We can't find skilled labor. Uh, the average skilled labor guy is like 56 years old. Okay? And it's turning out to be more of a labor issue than a funding issue. When labor can keep up with funding, I think, yeah, add more funding. But as of right now, with the, uh, two, uh, the 2015 uh, package that they voted in, uh, there's more money going in there than last year, and they couldn't spend it all last year. So, you know, my, my issue is is there is enough money. Let's refocus on the other issues of uh, getting our workforce up. Uh, you know, and, you know, if, if, if we worked on more than 12% of the roads in the state of Michigan, people would be complaining like crazy because there'd be red barrels everywhere. All right, so, you know, that's my perspective. Uh, anything that we do now, that we're looking at putting another $500 billion, not billion, $500 million in, but a lot of that's more of a political decision than a practical decision. Um, it's, it's, you know, in my opinion, it's make us look like we're, we're actually adding more funding when I think in reality we don't need any more. So. Well, you make some that's good... That's my take yeah. right now. <laughs> yeah, you make some good points. Well, I think the... Um, transportation budget that uh, you guys in the House and Senate either pass this week or will pass next week, uh, week, yeah, yeah, $5.386 billion on roads. That's a record. But basically you're saying, uh, okay, fine, but we can't use it all right now anyway. Do you think 
the uh, governor and maybe the transportation department, state government, just thinks, well, you know, even though we can't spend it right now, we'll eventually spend it. We'll just stockpile it. We just want a constant well, revenue, revenue stream, and we'll just stockpile it, save this uh, d- the dollars up, and roll, get it done it when we get it done. The year because there's a new budget every year. And so we asked about that, and we can't get an answer from MDOT as to what happens to the extra money. And we get answers like, well, oh, it'll get absorbed. What does that mean? Okay. I mean, trying to get some answers. I know I'm just a freshman, but sometimes it takes up to three months to get an answer out of some of these government agencies. And we asked, we asked a simple question as, how much money was actually spent on roads and bridges in 2018? It took three months to get that answer when it should have been, oh, 2.5 or 2.6, okay? So a lot of these government agencies look at us new guys coming in and asking all these questions and, and, and probably disrupting things a little bit and say, well, we'll just outweigh you. You know, you may not be here. So, you know, we'll just, uh, <laughs> and, and, and that's the mentality. But what they don't understand is that, you know, I'm 64 years old, okay? I'm not, and I'm not here to be, a career out of politics, okay? I, I chose the name because I felt the need to, not because I, I deserve it. And and I think that's what separates kind of me from some of my colleagues is that, you know, I've got a whole bunch of experience, and I know about roads, I know about building, I know about the construction. And, you know, I question them about why they spend $1.35 a pound for steel when I can buy it through my welding shop for $0.69, cents. Okay. Yeah. Next thing you know, I got three of the top MDOT guys in my office, you know, wanting to know why I'm asking questions like that. You know, so it's just, uh, it's just, you know, this is what I see and what I hear, and I believe what a lot of other people believe, but the perception of giving it back to the public, like, well, here's an extra $500 million, it'll, it'll do good. But what, I've, what, what we found out is that next year's budget, they'll want another $5.3 billion, okay? And then the next year, they'll want more. Even the stuff doesn't carry over for some reason. Now, I may have that wrong, but as of right now, we can't see where it carries over. So that's why they try to spend it all on paving roads that don't need to be paved. They, they do a lot of things that are kind of upsetting. So um, I'll go ahead. I'm talking too much. No, no, you're not talking too much. You make some really valid points. You obviously are representing the taxpayers. <laughs> that's who you're supposed to be representing. And well, the, that's, these that's transportation, yeah, these transportation Sorry. bureaucrats, they don't like these meddlesome questions, uh, you know, probing into their judgment. But I guess my, my question is, looking at it from the transportation highway bureaucrats' point of view, why can't they explain things? Are they lying, covering up? Uh, about what well, they're doing with this money, or don't they know, or what? I mean, this is basic they stuff. Never, they never want to get less funding because then it says, well, you didn't spend it all last year, so why are we going to give you more? And another thing is, you know, there's a lot of pressure by the governor because she ran on raising taxes for roads. And, you know, this is, no, you know, 85% of the people in the state of Michigan think we have adequate funding. That's 85%. Okay, so that's 15% who think we could use some more funding. So why are we going against the 85%, okay, and saying, well, we're just going to keep throwing money at it? You know, that's, that's the lancing way of fixing things. Let's just throw a lot of money at it and see what happens. 
all right? right? Instead of going back and saying, you know, the disappointment would be this. Let's say we put an extra billion dollars into road funding, but no more work is going to get done, okay? So people won't see any more barrels going up because, one, we don't have the workforce, and two, we're mandated to only fix on so many roads per year. So it, it, I don't know about the bureaucrats, you know, the, I can't say the word, but you know, I don't get along with them that well. So, um, but I just look at it thing from a businessman point of view. Okay, you know, I've been in business for 41 years in the state of Michigan. You know, and that's that's like a record for people. I mean, you're not an idiot. <laughs> if you can stay in business in Michigan for 41 years, you have to have some kind of uh, intelligence, I guess. So, you know, and, and that's why I'm looking at it through common sense, businessman approach. You know. Why, why are we going to fund 12% of the roads at 100% when we can only get 4% of the roads done? Okay. It makes no Let, sense to me. Yeah. Look, you make a lot of sense, and I'd love to keep talking to you, but we're out of time. I want to thank Representative Gary Eisen from the 81st District, St. Clair County. Thank you, Representative Eisen, for being our guest. You're welcome, and I'm on my way to Mackinac. Have fun up there. You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. Here we are again, and we have a great guest on, particularly uh, considering what we're going to be talking about. He is Terry Bowman, and he is co-chair of the Michigan Republican Party. Uh, I think everybody knows that Laura Cox is the chair but Terry uh, Bowman is the co-chair. They they don't say vice chair. Maybe that doesn't sound too good. Maybe that's why it's called co-chair. But uh, Terry Bowman, uh, welcome to the Political Insider. Well, thank you so much, Bill. It's always a pleasure to be with you. Yeah. Um, so there are vice chairs in the Republican Party, but they're kind of like categories, aren't they? Like, you know, youth or whatever, but the title co-chair means you are kind of like a vice president or a lieutenant governor, right? Well, I think that's a, a fair way to explain it. Yeah, we have uh, quite a few vice chairs. Uh, we have grassroots vice chairs, administrative vice chairs. The co-chair position, however, runs on the ticket with the chair uh, during the convention. And, and uh, so uh, when Laura was elected uh, last February at the state convention, um, I was on the ticket and, uh, we were happy to win and get the trust from the precinct delegates around Michigan. That's great. What is your background before you were elected co-chair? Well, it's uh, my background is still currently running, and what I mean by that is uh, for the last 23 years, I've been a, a Ford auto worker right on the assembly line, and still to this day uh, work right on the assembly line. In fact, I work at the, uh, the Ford Rossenville plant in Ypsilanti, and as you know, uh, we're watching very closely what's going on with GM and the auto workers there. So you've got this big uh, Mackinac Island Republican Leadership Conference going. Uh, believe it or not, Terry Bowman, I went to what I thought was the fifth such conference back in 1965, if you can believe that. Uh, this one is being billed as the 33rd. Uh, I'm not sure about the count on that. Uh, that's another discussion <laughs> We can have, I talked about at the beginning of the program, but what is on tap this weekend? You've got some uh, glamorous guests showing up, right? 
Well, we really do, and it's a star-studded event. Uh, and you're right, it's the 33rd. Uh, we call it the biennial uh, Republican Leadership Conference here in Michigan. And I can tell you it's the envy of, of uh, state parties around the Midwest and around the nation. We're able to bring in such exciting guests uh, every two years. And this year is, is no different. You know, we, we bring uh, not only the guests in, but we bring in all of the Republicans who want to come up here to this historic Grand Hotel and discuss really the most pressing issues facing our state and the nation. And, uh, of course, we've got uh, just an unbelievable guest this year in a sitting vice president. Uh, Mike Pence will be joining us tomorrow. And it's the first time in the, the conference's history that a sitting vice president has joined us at the conference. So we are really excited about that. We think that really shows the importance of Michigan coming up in 2020 and the trust that the uh, administration has and the, uh, the Trump campaign has uh, with Chair Laura Cox and everybody here at the Michigan Republican Party. Right. I think, uh, in fact, these biennial conferences over the years uh, have had only one sitting president, and that was Michigan's Gerald Ford back in the day. You've had future presidents and you've had past presidents at the conference, but only one sitting president. And now, as you say, this is the first sitting vice president, right? Uh, that's exactly right. And, and that's why we're so excited. But it doesn't just stop there. That's the great thing. Uh, we've got, of course, uh, a, a activist favorite and Sarah Huckabee Sanders is joining us on the island. And um, I know uh, her event is going to be packed full of uh, uh, precinct delegates and Republicans from around the state of Michigan. Uh, it's going to be a great event. Uh, we also have Congressman Dan Crenshaw, who represents the second district in Texas. Uh, some people may know him as a being on the media. He's a Navy SEAL. He had five tours of duty. And he sits on the Budget and Homeland Security Committee. And, and uh, if anybody's heard Dan speak, he's a great speaker. And, and again, another uh, favorite of uh, Republican Party um, delegates here in Michigan and uh, uh, Republican uh, members all around the state. We've got GOP Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy coming, which, again, is another big event uh, happening. Uh, we've got the Honorable Betsy DeVos, um, who, uh, as uh, people may know listening to me, is from Michigan, former MIGOP chair, Michigan GOP chair, and uh, we're happy to have her as the uh, Secretary of Education uh, at the event. And it just goes on and on. We also have Haley Barber, Governor Haley Barber, coming in Sunday. And uh, uh, looking forward to all of these national speakers uh, to fire up the crowd and get us all ready and pumped up for November of 2020. Yeah, Haley Barber, I remember when he was Republican National Chairman back in the 90s, uh, had one of the most successful tenures as National Republican Chairman I think the Republicans have ever had, and then, of course, went on to become a two-term governor of Mississippi. And you've got a bunch of panel discussions up there about various issues, too, don't you? We, we do, and uh, that's, that's one of the big things apart this as as really sells this event to the people is to come in, listen to the panels, listen to the people speak, because we have uh, experts that talk about the issues important to Michigan. And it's uh, people from our own state legislature, like uh, uh, we have the Speaker Lee Chatfield coming in, Senate Majority Leader Mike Shirky. We have uh, panels on, it's a congressional Q&A with Michigan's congressional delegation, uh, Congressman Bergman, uh, Heisinger, Molinar, Upton, uh, Tim Wahlberg. We've got Abundance and Pollsters, which for me is one of the best panels that I always enjoy. 
we have a women's influence in policy and politics panel, which, again, here in Michigan, we have such a great history of uh, women in, in uh, leadership positions. Our own chair right now, Laura Cox, we have uh, past chair uh, Betsy DeVos, who will be here, and past chair Ronna McDaniel, who uh, your listeners will know is the RNC chair right now. Uh, we've got a panel on Driven to Service, which is all about veterans, uh, and we'll have sitting on the panel uh, great uh, Michigan legislators like Senator Tom Barrett, Representative Jason Wentworth. We'll have uh, Congressman Jack Bergman, who is a general, and uh, we'll have John James, um, uh, who is a candidate for Senate, who, as many people know, is also a veteran. And again, uh, Congressman Dan Crenshaw from Texas will also sit on that panel. So. We're looking forward to all this. We think we've got a great conference uh, for everybody, and uh, we hope you can join us. You know, uh, most of these or all of these events that you're describing are inside, um, but, you know, a lot of people, when they get up on that island, they like to run around that island, um, do a lot of fun things. What's the weather like up there? That's always a big factor. (laughs) Well, this morning we had some rain showers going through, and I think that that's uh, going to be clearing up, but you're right. You know, up until this year, every two years, I spent a lot of my time down on that main street uh, with the other activists and with the other grassroots people uh, talking and discussing the events uh, that matter to Michigan and around the country. So every all the official events uh, take place here at the Historic Grand Hotel, but uh, a lot of the interaction goes on downtown, and uh, looking forward to that as well. One uh, Congress who's going to be there, and I think you just mentioned his name, Fred Upton, who's the senior uh, member of the congressional delegation covering both parties from the state of Michigan. And by the way, he is eighth in seniority out of 435 members in the Congress. He was first elected in 1986. There's always speculation. Is he going to run again? I think he's now 66 years old. Um, he's going to be up there. Is he going to have a reception or anything? Is there any sign that he's going to make an announcement that he is or isn't going to run again or what? Well, there's no sign uh, one way or the other, but we know Congressman Upton is sitting in on our congressional Q&A panel. And, uh, you know, we always welcome any kind of announcements that people want to make here on the island. And uh, we'll just have to wait and see. I know uh, uh, Congressman Upton has over 30 years uh, in the uh, U.S. House. And uh, as you said, he's the senior member of the Michigan delegation. So we'll wait and see. We, um, we wish him well, and we hope uh, uh, he makes a decision that's best for him and his family. Yeah, Terry Bowman, I just want to ask, the legislature is apparently going to send Governor Whitmer a record uh, $5.386 billion for roads. Do, do the delegates up there support that and think that the Republicans are really handling that issue vis-a-vis the governor pretty well? Well, um, as you know, uh, my history is very tied with the grassroots. So, you know, I still uh, speak to all my friends all around Michigan on a daily basis. I know that we uh, that our Speaker of the House, Lee Chatfield, and our Senate Majority Leader, Mike Shirky, really do have uh, the confidence of, of all the Republican delegates and, and uh, the Republican Party in Michigan. So we'll let them play that out. We'll see how it goes. Uh, and I do think, uh, as you said, that there's going to be a lot of talk about that budget here on the week over the weekend. And uh, so that question might be better asked uh, post-conference. And I can give you a better answer of uh, how everybody's 
discussing it and, and willing to talk about it uh, here on the island. So yeah. uh, looking forward to talking to you again, though. Yeah, we may do that. Thank you so much, Terry Bowman, co-chair of the Michigan Republican Party, talking to us from Mackinac Island uh, while we uh, put this out on the airways for everybody to hear. It's ongoing. Terry Bowman, thank you. Thank you, Bill.